I'm delighted to be here with you this week. I, at this time, I'm really a little bit sorry that I operate under the assumption that when I step to the pulpit, I'm there to preach, else I would tell you a story or two about Brother David, who has been one of my favorite people for almost six years. I'll tell you how much he loves the snow. Just a few years ago, in uh, the first week of March in Albuquerque, David had never been on top of the uh, Sandia Crest, and on the east side of the Sandias, there was a little bit of snow in the first side of in the first week of March. And I had driven to Albuquerque; he had flown. We got in my little green German import and climbed the Sandia Mountains, which is about a mile above the city of Albuquerque, snow and all, right to the top. And he gets out and goes and stands on the crest with a 30 below zero wind hitting him in the face and loved every minute of it so he does love the white stuff and I'll tell you another thing or two about him before the week is over now let me tell you what I'm going to do this week I'm going to talk about prophecy in the book of Revelation however I feel that it is very important this morning that I establish in your mind if it's not already established why prophecy is important and why we may rely upon it you know, there are a great many folk who call themselves Christians who do not believe prophecy, who take the word of God like a cafeteria line and get what they want and leave the rest of it because they do not have a clear conception about the authority, the inspiration, the value of the whole Bible in all of its parts and in every part. So this morning I want to establish from the scriptures the authority of the word of God. Tonight we're going to look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3 as they provide a panorama of human history from the New Testament church through to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then tomorrow night we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 where we see the plan of the book. And then on Tuesday night and Wednesday night we'll survey the book of Revelation. But what I want to do most importantly tonight and tomorrow night is to equip you to unravel what often seems to be a very confusing book in Revelation and give you the tools whereby you can go to God's Word and understand what Revelation has to say to us today. But this morning I want to talk about our proven authority, the Word of God. Now there are many misconceptions that float around about God. I was reading in the prophets a few week, weeks ago, and one of the prophets under inspiration said to the people of Israel, you have as many gods as you have towns, O Israel. Now think about that for a minute. God's charge against his people was that in every town they had their own God. Now is it any different today? Have you ever, in visiting and traveling, seen how very different little things are in various churches, in different locations, in different regions, and how, unless we are very careful, we begin to give creedal authority, we begin to give uh, the power of Scripture to things that are local in nature, that are not normative and standard, that do not carry God's authority, but we deify our own way of doing certain things. We can know God, contrary to popular opinion, only as God reveals himself to us. And it is my premise this morning that God reveals himself only through his holy word. 
the Bible. No man can know God in any full sense apart from the word of revelation, which we call the Bible. You know, sometimes we talk, everything we say, if we're not very careful, is man-centered. Even when we do something for God or do God's work, it centers in us. And we've got to find a rational explanation for everything that happens and figure out how it happened, who did it, and who's responsible. We need to realize and understand that there are many things that we don't have anything to do with. God does it by His sovereign power, by His unlimited ability to do what He wills to do. God does it. And no man can know God unless... He reveals Himself. We cannot find God. God found us. He went looking for us. He put skin on and became a man when His messengers, the prophets, no longer had an effect when, a, when an eternal remedy was called for. He came Himself looking for us. We love Him because He first loved us. We cannot find God. He has found us. There are those who glory in natural revelation, and it is magnificent. They eat up the fact that God is revealed in nature. We can see the starry firmament and realize that our universe, as we think of it, is only one little corner of creation. And we can be impressed and know that it is beyond all human reason that there was not an ultimate cause, that there is not a God. We can see the waves of the sea as they roll in the power of the tides, as they are influenced by the moon as it circles the earth. And we can know that there must be a reason that the moon is not a little closer and the continents are flooded every day or a little farther away and there is no tide. We can see the sunset and the sunrise in all of their beauty and we can know in our heart of hearts that there is a God. But, who is He? What's His name? What's He like? What does He do? What does He say? What does He think? You can know Him in that way only as the Holy Spirit illumines your spirit and makes the Word of God mean something to you. We can know Him only through the Word. The Word of God is God's agent in all that He does. And this morning, I want us to examine a text of Scripture. Now, I promise you that the message will have no meaning apart from the text. So I want you to open your Bibles and follow as we examine the text of the book of 1 Peter. Toward the end of the New Testament, right ahead of the letters of John, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22, and I'm going to read down to chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 22. A proven authority, the Word of God. Peter writes, Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, 
not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Chapter 2. Therefore, because of the things he has just said in the preceding verses, therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as a living stone, rejected by man, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here is a proven authority which is the agent of God in all of his work in our world. Notice, first of all, in verse 22, the first verse of the text, the Word of God is a purifying agent. It is a purifying agent. God's truth contained in His Word is the divinely ordained means by which you and I may be clean and pure and holy and godly in our daily lives. In Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. Every one of its 24 or 25 stanzas is about the Word of God. In Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, this same truth is taught. It says there, Wherewithal, or how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. His word, His truth, is the divinely ordained means of purification of our lives. Obedience is the condition of purification. You see, very often, we want to be godly, we want to be Christians, we want to serve God, we want to do, quote, God's work, end of quote, whatever that means to each one of us individually, but we want to do it on our own terms. But you see the condition that God has set for purity that is purity indeed that starts from the inside and comes out instead of the other way around where we try to construct purity from the outside in. That kind of purity that comes from the heart and affects our whole lives is conditioned upon obedience to the Word of God, which is His purifying agent. Selfishness was both the source and the seal of the fall of man, whereby man who had been created for fellowship with God rebelled against God and set himself at war with God, trying to be his own master. But we are, in a real sense, purified by obedience 
in order that we may love others. Notice how closely he connects those two thoughts. He said, you have been purified by obedience. Therefore, fervently love one another from the heart. We are, in a real sense, saved to love others. We are to put others and their welfare ahead of us and our welfare, not because it's pleasant, not because it's fun, not because we enjoy doing it, but because it's right and because God demands it and because only as we give away what we are and what we have can we find peace of mind, happiness, joy, and eternal possessions which we all seek. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's hard for men to understand. That's a paradox. It's something that seems true, but it seems to contradict some, something else. The only way you can be happy is to give happiness to other people. The only way you can be peaceful is to help other people find the peace of God. The only way you can be successful is to make other people successful. Fervently love one another from the heart. After all, the scriptures say that we are aliens in a foreign land. You know, we suffer in the Bible Belt of our country under the delusion that the world at large accepts the gospel at least partly and acknowledges the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that's not true. In 1970, and that's a long time ago, it was estimated that 8% of the world's population claimed to be Christian. 8%. And I dare say that's down to 5 or 6 by now. We are aliens in a foreign land. Have you ever been far away from home, perhaps overseas or in another country or in another state and seen somebody from back home? And whether or not you were really that close at home, it was a real blessing just to be with somebody from home. Well, the Bible says that's the way we are here. We are aliens in a foreign land. And beyond that, we are all alike born of God, born again. We belong to Him. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we ought to stick together. His Word is a purifying agent. You see, true birth brings life. And hear me well. True birth in the Spirit. True belief in Jesus produces obedience to the Word of God. The self-willed church member, and I'll save myself a lot of words by saying Christian and then equivocating the term down to where I mean church member. The self-willed church member that does not recognize nor obey the authority of God's Word is at the best carnal and at the least not saved at all. True birth brings life. And true belief in Jesus produces obedience to the Word of God. From a purified heart flows the obedience that produces love to others. His Word is a purifying agent. And then in verses 23 to 25 of 1 Peter 1, His Word is a productive agent. Look again at the text. 
For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. It is a productive agent. In verse 23 is one of the most beautiful and comprehensive illustrations in the entire Bible about the function of Scripture. Now, in the natural world, the sperm of the Father, the seed of the fetus, contains within its genetic makeup every characteristic that the full-grown adult will possess. True? The seed carries within itself every characteristic which the full-grown adult will possess. Now look at verse 23. He says, You have been born again, not of seed or sperm, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. His Word is the seed whereby we were born and contained within His Word is every characteristic that we shall possess when one day we stand before the throne and lay our puny rewards at the feet of Jesus. It is a productive agent. The only way this perishing human creature can become incorruptible is to receive the Word of God. Now, in these verses, several times occurs the phrase, the Word of God. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, he begins by talking about the Word of God. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He created all things, and all of, all of the descriptions of the functions of the Word of God. There, He is talking about the perfect image of God, the, the, the God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the term is logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. Here, when He talks about the Word of God, the term is rhema. It refers to the uttered, the spoken Word of God. Now, this spoken, uttered Word of God is the mind of God. It is not God. We do not worship the book. We worship the Lord Jesus. And the book is His Word. His uttered Word. And here the Scriptures say, the uttered the spoken, the written word of God shall abide forever. In John 10, the Lord Jesus made a, a, a statement that John records for us almost as though it were an afterthought. He quoted Scripture. He quoted the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus did. And then He made the statement, the Scriptures cannot be broken. Do you realize that? The Scriptures cannot be broken. His Word is a productive agent. His uttered Word, the Bible, 
is productive. We can be born again only through the Word. Now we put faith in the Lord Jesus by His grace. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He makes us whole. He makes us new. He gives us a new life. But it only happens when the Holy Spirit of God breathes life into the Word of God and into our hearts. We see what the Word says. We accept its truth. And we are born again by the productive agent of His Word. It is alive. I would remind you that the Word contains within itself the accompanying power of the Holy Spirit. For God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, My Word shall never go forth void, but shall accomplish that for which... I have appointed it. Now in verse 24, we learn that the Word is not like anything else. It's not like a great redwood tree, one of the great mysteries of nature, one of the most magnificent things that nature has produced. It's not like the great mountains. The Word of God is not like anything else. For you see, anything else is like the flower of grass. It may have a glory, It may have a beauty. It may last for a while. It may last for millenniums. It may last for the age of man. But one day it's going to perish. And all of its glory is like the glory of the flower of grass. The whole cycle of nature echoes this truth. For nature is in a constant process of decay moving toward a state of dissolution where everything dissolves into nothingness. It has been in a state of decay since sin through the fall of man entered this world and corrupted not only the world of man but the world of nature as Romans chapter 8 teaches us. All that humanity has, all that humanity does is like the flower of grass. It is temporary. Now, literally, in the Greek, this verse 24 puts the verbs forward in each phrase. Literally, it is in the past perfect tense. It's already happened. In the mind of God, in the truth of God, as He stands above time, everything physical really is already dissolved. For it literally says, withered the grass, fallen the bloom. The Word of God is a productive agent. And if what this says is true, that all flesh is like grass and the grass withers and the flower fades, is it not foolish to devote your life to gaining grass that's going to be burnt up and pass away? But only through obedience to the Word of God, through the new birth and commitment to the Lord Jesus, can we have eternal possessions. Verse 25, But the Word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the Word, the rhema, the uttered Word, the spoken Word, which was proclaimed to you. The Word is unmoved. It is fixed. It is permanent and amid everything that abides on the earth only its beauty is eternal 
There was a missionary that most of you are probably familiar with named Jim Elliott who was murdered along with some companions by the Aka Indians in South America. His wife, Elizabeth Elliott, has written a number of books, including books about him. And from the journals of Jim Elliott, scribbled in the flyleaf of his Bible several years before his death, was written a quotation that has meant much to me since I read it. As Jim Elliott wrote, a man who did, in fact, give his life for Jesus. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The Word of God is a purifying agent. It is a productive agent. And then notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, it is a practical agent. Now let me make a statement that you need to take to heart Young Christian, young people, you need to believe this and you need, to, you need to remember it. The scriptures are the most intensely practical thing in the world. When you run across somebody that's teaching something in the name of the Bible, in the name of God, that doesn't make any sense, that doesn't do any good, that doesn't have any function, you've run against false teaching. The scriptures are a practical agent. God gave us His Word in order to give us the tools wherewith we may live successful lives as He counts success. And anything that is unscriptural, unpractical, is unscriptural. If it's not practical, it's not consistent with God's Word. Notice verse 1. Therefore, now any time in the New Testament you find the word therefore or wherefore, you can just draw a circle around it and look up above it and you'll find what the therefore means. Because the Word of God is a purifying agent. Because the Word of God is a productive agent. Therefore, it is a practical agent. Therefore, laying aside or putting aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy and envy, and all slander... The word putting off is a very vivid term in the Greek. It describes stripping off down to nothing. It was like a man who had been working and his clothes had become soiled. And when he came home and he wanted to be clean and pure, he stripped off the soiled clothes and threw them aside so that he could be clean again. Therefore, because you are purified by the word, because the Word has produced a new life in you. Put aside, strip off, throw away all of the ungodly things that dishonor Him. It is a practical agent which cleanses us for the living of the Christian life. And then notice in verses 2 and 3, it is a perfect agent. I like this illustration that Peter uses. He says, like newborn babes, desire or long for the sincere milk of the Word, the pure, undiluted milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. All life demands growth. And it is only in spiritual life that we try, and I think it's because of feelings of guilt 
It's because we are unwilling to be truly obedient at many points in our lives. Only in spiritual life do we try to claim that you can be alive without growth. All life demands growth, whether it is vegetable life, animal life, moral life, intellectual life, spiritual life. And the moment that growth ceases, the processes of death begin to take over. How are we going to grow? By what he calls the pure, undiluted milk of the Word. Now in nature, in the world of humanity and in the world of animals, the, the pure milk from the mother's body is exactly what the newborn needs to sustain life and to begin to grow. Now Peter has already said that the Word of God is like the seed of the fetus which determines all its characteristics. Now he says it is like the milk of the mother's body, which is exactly what the newborn needs in order for growth and life and health. You see, in nature, the mother's milk is unique. It is uniquely adequate. He says, long for the sincere milk of the Word. Do you know that all tastes are acquired even the taste of a baby for the mother's milk is an acquired taste. For babies very easily can acquire a taste for things that are not healthy and you could feed it to them and they would take it in great amounts until it wasted their little bodies and they died from malnutrition. Tastes are acquired. You've got to learn to like almost anything except the things that are bad for you. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever known a kid that cried for spinach? I'll tell you what, though. They'd, every one of them be junk food junkies if you'd let them be. You don't have to acquire a taste for junk, but you've got to acquire a taste for good food. And Peter says, acquire a taste. Learn to desire the sincere, the pure, undiluted milk of the word so that you may grow it is both incorruptible seed and it is our food and as a baby desires the mother's milk so we are to desire the word of God which protects and nourishes us and gives us all the components needed for life and health and then notice in verse 4 it is a precious agent coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. Here, Peter moves from talking about it, the rhema, the uttered word, into talking about him, the lagos, the perfect word of God. It is a precious agent. And then in verse 5, notice it is a permanent agent. See again the illustrations that Peter uses. It is like sperm, which determines what we are like. It is like the mother's milk, which nourishes us and protects us. And now he says, because of this agent of God, his word, we as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house 
for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It is a permanent agent. Folks, a rock house is going to stand a long time. It may weather. It may take a beating. But it will stand before the elements and it will be there when everything else is gone. For the Word of God is a permanent agent. Now notice again how practical it is. For we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Everything that is genuinely a sacrifice to God is a spiritual thing. You know, the devil deludes us, he fools us, and he sells a lot of well-meaning Christians into believing that you can sacrifice to God by giving material possessions. Now, God demands that we be good stewards of material things, but that's not sacrifice. The devil deludes us in believing, into believing that we can sacrifice to God by giving of our time and we immerse ourselves in organizations and activities. But all things which are truly sacrificial are spiritual in nature. The sacrifices of God, a broken heart, a contrite heart, prayer, praise, faith, holy living, all are of a spiritual nature. Now, this spiritual house is the temple of God. God has had three temples on the earth. The first temple was made of stone and stood in Jerusalem. The second temple was made of flesh and was the body of Jesus Christ. The third temple is the church, the body of Christ in our world today. In the first temple dwelt the uncreated glory of God as it descended upon the altar of sacrifice and the people saw it. In the second temple of God, the body of Jesus dwelt as Paul described all the fullness of God in bodily form. Now the first temple was knocked down and dragged away piece by piece. The second temple was nailed to a cross and has been removed to heaven after resurrection from the grave. But the third temple, the church, will continue on this earth until the arch of the, the keystone of the arch is brought forth with shouting and is put in place when Christ comes again. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within His temple on earth today, the church. And by His Word, it produces in all who will let Him do so the likeness of Jesus. But I want to remind you where I began today. You cannot be what God wants you to be. You cannot do what God wants you to do. You cannot make any sense out of the Scriptures. Prophecy is meaningless and you may as well write it off unless you accept the fact that all flesh is as grass in all of its glory like the flower of grass. Withered the grass, fallen the bloom, but the Word of our God abides forever. It is God's agent. It is our authority. Yield to it, for there and only there you will be born again. For there and only there you will grow as a Christian. In Colossians 2, 6, Paul said, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk 
in him. There and only there will you find a fortress in the day of trouble and a shield in the heat of battle. There and only there will you find something which abides forever and which will impart to you eternal life. May we pray.